0: Thanks for joining us today at the Vine Church. We are one church with two locations reaching around the world with the help of our online service. We exist to connect the world to Jesus Christ, and you can partner with us by sharing this video or clicking the Give link below. For now, prepare your heart for some incredible worship and an inspiring message.
1: And I raise it, hallelujah, in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah Louder than the unbelievers Sing I raise I raise a hallelujah With everything with everything inside of me, I raise a hand. Sing a little loud. Song this morning. It's called Sea of Victory. It just says this that though our circumstances fail, God never does. So sing this with me. The weapon may be formed. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. The God I serve knows only how to try up. My God will There's power in the name, there's power in the mind. You turn it forward. You turn it.
0: well, how are you, church? Good. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you this morning as we kick off a brand new message series that we're calling Day Today. And in this series, we're we're going to be aiming at how do we find God in the midst of the grind of our everyday lives. And the timing of this couldn't be any better, could it? Because we are officially past the back-to-school season, and now we're actually past Labor Day, which means that we are squarely into the grind of the fall. What that means for us is that every social group that we're a part of, every activity that our kids are a part of, is in full swing at this point. And when we reach that point, what typically happens is that our our calendars begin to overflow, our budgets begin to break down, and then our relationships begin to deteriorate, even our relationship with Christ. And I wish I could say that we were going to solve all of those tensions through this series, and it was just going to be easy from this point forward, but that's not the case. What we are going to talk about throughout this series is the four biggest like, pressure points that we experience in this kind of grind of life. And we're going to talk about how we can actually discover where God is alive and active in the grind of life. And today we're actually going to start by by discussing how we can take control of our calendars. And so I need to begin with a confession for you all. And that is that I'm still working on this one, like big time. In fact, when when Chris and I... Uh, when we first had our children, we kind of set some lofty goals for them. Like we said, like we want our kids by the time they graduate high school to, to ha- be fluent in a second language. And we want them to, to not only be able to play an instrument, but to read music. And we want them to have like an activity or a hobby that they really, really enjoy, that's really good for their body to help them stay physically fit and physically active. And, and so we said, by the time they graduate, these are the objectives The problem is we nearly crushed our son when he went to kindergarten because we didn't plan on spacing out those objectives over 13 years. We said, we're going to get this thing done in kindergarten. And so here's what we did. We enrolled my five-year-old son, Joshua, in a Spanish language immersion school where 90% of his day is taught in Spanish. And then then we signed him up for year-round swimming so that what we would do is we would take him to school and and then we would pick him up from school and drive directly from the school to a pool where he would spend an hour swimming. And then we signed him up for piano lessons and we had a weekly session with a tutor and then we had daily regiment of piano practice. And this is gonna be completely shocking to all of you but that schedule lasted for all of four months. And then he was ready to quit all of it. Like he was done. Like he was completely done. He was totally burned out because it was just too much. And, and the good news is we were able to kind of drop out a swim team. We were able to ratchet down the in-home piano. We were able to get extra help at school. So he still loves, he still loves the piano. He still loves swimming. He still loves Spanish. But what we've had to learn is that too many good things can actually be a bad thing. And you already knew that, didn't you? Like, you, you already, like, you're way ahead of my wife, Kristen, and I, because you already figured that out. But maybe some students in the room haven't quite gotten there, because you're maybe feeling that tension right now. Like, for example, like, students, you know you've got to keep your grades up, but you also have to maintain your social life, which means that you might have to have a girlfriend or boyfriend that you take really good care of, and you're, like, in a great relationship with them. And then you might be on a team which means you got to practice, and you might be on a club, so it means you got to go to all the meetings and do all the things that the club does, and you might even have a part-time job. And when you look at all those things, you go, man, those are all really good things. But when you add them all up, they can be back-breaking. It can just be too much. And I wish I could say it gets easier, but, but then you go to college, right? And when you're in college, you got to figure out your major, and then more importantly, you got to figure out how to pay for your major, Right? Yeah, and then you get done with college, and then, and then you have to figure out, you know, what job you're gonna get, where you're gonna live, where you're gonna find community. And the reality is, it just goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, and we just get busier and busier and busier. For those of you who are parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about, because you're like a part-time tutor in a part-time taxi, right? Like, like, you just kind of vacillate between those roles. Like, you are always doing something and taking someone somewhere, and you just get busier and busier and busier. And here's the problem. When we get really, really busy, we become blinded to what matters most. When we're really busy, we're blinded to what matters most. And we're actually gonna see that in our scripture passage for today. And so if you brought your Bibles or have a Bible app, you're invited to open with me to Luke chapter 14. We're gonna pick up reading with verse 15 this morning. But before we do that, I wanna just go ahead and let you know that throughout the course of this message series, we're actually gonna be looking at some of the most overlooked and undervalued parables that Jesus taught. In fact, some of these parables that we're gonna be teaching on in this series, I've never taught on myself. And I've never heard anybody else teach on them either because they're some of the most difficult and challenging parables that Jesus delivers to his followers. But I'm convinced that when we dig into some of the hardest teachings of Jesus, that Jesus does some of the hardest work inside of each of us. And so I'm excited about this series. And if you're here this morning and you're going, whoa, we're going to talk about parables. What What's a parable? Well, a parable is just a fictional story that makes a factual statement. In essence, what we see throughout the Bible is that Jesus is the master communicator. And so what he does is he takes these complicated truths of the kingdom of God, and he he simplifies them into simple stories that we can understand and apply to our human hearts. And in the story that we're going to read this morning, there's, like a, there's kind of a setup that's needed. And so I want to give you the context of this parable. And that is that Jesus has been invited into the home of a Pharisee on the Sabbath. And if you're not a Christian, you just think I spoke a foreign language, right? Because I dropped, I dropped Pharisee and Sabbath in the same sentence there. So let me just make sure we're on the same page. A Pharisee was a religious leader in Jesus' day, and their focus was on all of the rules. They wanted to make sure they followed every rule to the letter of the law. And what that meant for them? is that they couldn't even do things on the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was the day of rest. It was a set-apart day for rest. And and by the way, that's not a was, that is an is. That's a commandment for all of us still to this day. But their interpretation of the Sabbath was that you couldn't do any work on that day, even if it was good work. Like, you couldn't even help somebody on that day. And there's still um, Pharisees in the world today, and they take the Sabbath extremely seriously. Like, when I was in uh, the Holy Land a few years ago... um, I was there on the Sabbath, and I was trying to go up to my hotel room for a quick second. I had forgotten something in there, but you can't do any work on the Sabbath. And so the elevators just run from floor to floor to floor because pushing a button would be work. And so I just rode the elevator floor to floor to floor. Yes, I was on the 14th floor to floor to floor to floor. And then when you get back on the elevator, you know what you get to do? You get to ride down from floor to floor the floor because you can't push a button because that would be work, all right? And so if pushing a button is work, you know that helping somebody in need or healing somebody on the Sabbath would definitely constitute work. And so Jesus is in the home of a Pharisee where there just happens to be somebody who's really sick there in need of healing. Coincidence? Probably not. More like a trap from the Pharisees to see if they can catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath. And so Jesus being Jesus sees the person in need And what does he do? He heals them. He brings healing. And then he takes that as an opportunity to unpack truths about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're gonna see in our passage today. So let's pick up reading with Luke chapter 14, verse 15. It says this. Now, when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he, and he being Jesus, said to him, "'A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. "'And at the time for the banquet, "'he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, "'Come, for everything is now ready.' "'But they all alike began to make excuses. "'The first said to him, "'I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, "'I have bought five yoke of oxen "'and I go to examine them. "'Please have me excused.' "'And another said, "'I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come.' So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet, man. This is this is a powerful parable, and it's important for us to recognize that Jesus never tells a parable that doesn't make a point. And so we got to ask ourselves, what's the point of this parable? Well, we're going to get to that bottom line point, but to do so, we we got to kind of take it from the top and work our way down through the parable. And so Jesus begins by saying that there was a man who gave a great banquet. Now. In typical Jesus fashion, he doesn't actually give us much information about the man at all. Like, he doesn't tell us his name, his backstory, where he lives, where he comes from, who his family is. Like, we don't know anything about this man. But from the story that Jesus tells, we can, we can actually glean some information that's pretty important. Like, the first thing we can pick up about this man is that he is wealthy, And you go, how do you know that? Well, because he has a servant, and he's throwing a great banquet in a place that he owns that can hold a great number of people. Do you know who fits that description? Rich people, right? Like This is a rich person who's talking here, and he's talking to his rich friends when he talks about his guests. And the reason we know that the people this rich man has invited are rich is because of the excuses that they give for not coming to his party, Like, like they actually make me laugh. Like, the first excuse that is given is, Well, I I would like to come, but I just bought a big chunk of property and I need need to go check it out. Okay. Anyone here in a position where they just buy property sight unseen because it's not a big deal to you financially? If so, I'd like to have a conversation after the service today. No, I I mean, the reality is that that's, that's a person in a position of wealth and influence when you can just go, Yeah, I'll just buy that and then I'll go check it out later. And the second person who gives an excuse says, hey, I I just bought five yoke of oxen, five yoke of oxen, and I need to go see if they're any good. I I mean, I don't know if he like like just saw it on Amazon and thought it was a special and went ahead and bought it before he had even looked like he buys it without even looking at it and then says, I can't come to your party. I need to go check it out. I mean, this is rich people problems right here that we're talking about. And the the third excuse that is given is, hey, I can't come because I just got married, which probably means that I just threw a great big banquet myself and I don't need to have a competition between your banquet and my banquet, right? Like what we know from the story is that this is a rich man inviting rich men to his party and the rich men don't want to come. So the rich man says to a servant, okay, or you know what? Change of plans. I want you to go into all of the city So not just the rich part of the city. I want you to go into all the city, go up and down every street, every lane. And I want you to invite everybody within the city walls to come to my banquet. And the servant looks at him and says, "Hmm, yeah, I already did that. And there's still a lot of room left. So then the master looks at the servant and says, okay, then I want you to actually go outside the city walls. I want you to go to the highways and the hedges. I want you to go beyond where we actually let people in. And I want you to find the people who we don't let into our community, and I want you to let them in not only to our community, but into my home. This is this is a pretty radical teaching from this from this guy who's mad that nobody showed up to his party. Like he's willing to let just anybody come into his house. And for those of you going, why does he use this language of highways and hedges? It's because those were that's where the homeless people lived. And the reason there was a city wall was to keep them out because we didn't want those people coming in and stealing our property. But this man is so anxious to have his banquet to be filled. He says, even the people we fought to keep out, I want you to bring in to my home. Now, what I think is interesting is that this man who is snubbed by his social, his social peers basically says, I'm going to go to everybody who's left and invite them to come in. Now, if you're one of those people who, like, when you were in high school English class, like, you really loved looking at the deeper meaning of things, right? Like, you you took the poems, and and you'd be like, oh, it says this, but it really means this. Then you've probably already picked up on the fact that every person represented in our story represents somebody else, right? Like, for example, the the master in the story who's having the great big banquet, he kind of represents God here. And he wants everybody to come into his banquet, right? And so he sends his servant or his son, Jesus Christ, to go into the world and to invite everybody to come to his banquet. And he starts with the people who you would have been like, you would have assumed would have been the first person to come. Like he goes goes and he gets the people right around him and he thinks that they would come to the banquet. But those are the people who kind of snub Jesus too. So Jesus goes beyond that first group of people and he goes to the entire world and says, everybody is invited into my heavenly father's banquet. And when you look at it at first glance, you go, man, this is, this is really a parable about the haves and the have nots. Like this, this is Jesus's way of saying that everybody, regardless of your personal wealth, you have been invited into the kingdom of God. Like there's no entrance fee. Like you don't have to have a certain amount of money to get into the kingdom of God. And certainly that's true but when Jesus communicates, there is always a deeper meaning. And when we dig deeper into this parable, we see that this this is actually less about finances, and it's a whole lot more about faithfulness, specifically faithfulness with our time, and our willingness to stop doing what we're doing to start doing what God's calling us to do. Like when I read this, when I read this parable, like it becomes really obvious really quickly that Jesus is talking about the Pharisees and his followers right because in the parable Jesus is represented by the servant and you would think that it would have been a pretty easy sell for him to get to get all the rich people to come to another rich person's party that should have been easy but those are the people who say no we we aren't going to stop doing what we're doing to start doing what you want us to do which is pretty much what the Pharisees said about Jesus Like, if you think about it, the the very people who should have been the closest followers of Jesus were the Pharisees. Like, these are the people who knew that like the Old Testament of the Bible inside and out, they had memorized every single prophecy about Jesus. And yet when Jesus comes in the flesh, they don't recognize him. And you know why? Because they're too busy on their own pursuing their own version of holiness that they miss the Holy One of God. They're so busy fighting to make sure they follow all of the rules accurately (laughs) that they miss a relationship with God in the flesh. And so what does Jesus do? Does he stop inviting? No. He goes ahead and he invites everybody around, including those who weren't worthy of being within the city walls. He says, everybody, regardless of where you are or where you're from, regardless of what you have or what you have to offer, you are invited to come to this banquet. Now, what I love is that when you read throughout the gospels, what you see is that the followers of Jesus are the people who were willing to stop doing whatever it is they were doing to start doing whatever Jesus asked them to do. Like, like Think about the calling of the very first disciples, right? Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee. He sees some men fishing, and he says, follow me. And what do they do? They drop their nets, and they follow him. They stop doing what they were doing, and they start doing what Jesus has asked them to do. Think about when Jesus approaches Levi. He's sitting at his tax collector's booth. He says, follow me. Levi gets up and follows him. He stops doing what he was doing, he starts doing what Jesus has called him to do. And I don't know about you, but when I recognized that this parable really wasn't about money, it was more about time, it became really personal for me. Because I don't know about you, but I have the tendency to fill my calendar with a whole lot of good things to the point where I can miss God things, which is exactly what the Pharisees did. And if you feel that tension like I feel it, then I wanna give you three steps that you can do to make sure that you're not too busy doing what you want to do what God is calling you to do. And so here's the first thing that I think we need to pay attention to, and that is to reconsider your plans in light of your priorities. Reconsider your plans in light of your priorities. Listen, I know that your calendar is overflowing. Here's my question for you. Is your calendar overflowing with the things that matter most to you? And another way of asking that question would be, have you scheduled your values? Have you scheduled your values? And here's how you know that. If you were to take your calendar and turn it over to somebody who you know and trust, the things that you've got coming up this week and then the next few weeks, and they were to look through how you're planning on spending your time, what would they tell you you value the most? And if it's anything other than the things that you actually value, then you've got work to do. And listen, I'm not trying to add to your plate. I'm saying that you might need to stop doing some things in order to start doing the things that actually matter to you. And I say that recognizing that the average American, average American typically chooses to do what they want to do. Like, the majority of people I interact with on an an everyday basis, my operating assumption about them is that they're going to ultimately do whatever it is that they want to do, which is why, in case you're curious, the average American spends about 10 years of their life in front of a TV screen or on social media by the time they're 70. And I don't know about you, but I've never met anybody who, when they got to the end of their life, looked back and wished they had spent more time in front of a screen. But I've met a lot of people who towards the end of their life looked back and wished that they had spent a whole lot more time doing the things that really mattered to them. And if that hits home for you, if that hits home for you, then maybe you need to move on to the second step, and that is recognizing that God moves in the margins. Recognize that God moves in the margins some of the most, like, most powerful spiritual moments that you'll experience come in unscheduled times and in unscheduled ways in your life. Like, I, I, I just want to encourage you to recognize the, the fact that sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is to pause long enough to ask somebody how they're doing. And when they give you the standard fine response, you ask them, no, how are you really doing Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do would be to to pause your to-do list long enough to check on somebody in your life who's having a tough time, or maybe even to stop doing what you're doing to go be with somebody who's really hurting. As a friendly reminder, 39 of the 40 miracles that are recorded in the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, 39 of those 40 miracles happened outside of a worship context. And that's a big deal to me because before we ever step into worship here, this place has been prayed for and you've been prayed for. We've prayed intentionally and with intensity for you to experience a move of God. But recently what I've realized is I don't just need to be praying for you in the context of worship. I need to be praying for you in the context of your office, your school, your neighborhood, your home. Because God moves in the margins. The problem is we're so calendared out that we don't have any margin. The idea of stopping to ask somebody how they're doing really is like, I I don't have time for that. The idea of stopping what I'm doing to actually go help somebody in their time of need, don't have time for that either. And because you don't have time, you don't get to see God move. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people recently go, man, I just, I'm too busy. And yet I don't have God. In my life, and I'm like, you think those two things go together? Listen, listen. I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that the biggest issue the church has is a commitment issue, and it's not that they we're not committed, it's that we're overcommitted. We're overcommitted. And then we wonder why we don't see God move. It's because we don't have any margin. Listen, we've got to recognize, we've got to recognize that when we're overcommitted or overextended, we're never gonna see God do what he really wants to do in our lives. In fact, I would, I would tell you this. When we get to a point where our calendar is completely overflowing and, and there's just no room for anything else, we're right where the enemy wants us to be. See, each of you were created to bring heaven here in all that you say and all that you do. But the enemy of God, you know what he knows about you? He knows he doesn't have to make you bad. He just has to keep you busy to make you bad. It's just gotta keep you busy doing the things that don't really matter. Because as long as you're busy doing things that don't actually matter, then you're never gonna make a difference for the kingdom of God here on earth. And if that strikes a chord with you, then maybe it's time for you to, to move on to step number three, which is this. Remember that every yes is a no to something else. Every yes is a no to something else. And I say remember here because you already know this. Like, like you guys are fully aware of this truth. Like I, I get that. And I'm gonna step back a little bit from there. But you guys already know this to be the case, right? Like if you're planning on going to Mexican for lunch today, you're not going for burgers. Right? Are you tracking with me? Like if you're going for wings after lunch, then you're not going to Chinese. And I'm just curious how many of you are hungry now? Okay? Just that was just a, a, a test, right? The, the reality is the reality is that when you say yes to one thing, you can't, you can't say yes to something else. That's the opportunity cost of time. And we're all keenly aware of this already, but here's what I wanna encourage you to do. I wanna encourage you to start saying no to some of the things that don't matter that much so that you can say yes to a few things that really, really make a difference. And I know I know, for some of you, that hurts. I know that hurts because some of you are going, I don't like to say no. I just want to remind you of this truth. Just because you could do something doesn't mean you should do something. Come on. Just, be, just because you could doesn't mean you should. I, I just need to be fully transparent. This is hard for me. Like really, really hard. I'm a recovering people pleaser. Like... <laughs> I am like like i, I don 't like saying no to people i don 't at all i don 't like people being mad at me i, I don 't like it when when people ask me to do things and i 'm not able to do those things, especially when it 's something I really could do, but I know i shouldn 't do i don't i don't like saying no, but in this season of my life i 'm having to say no more than I ever have before. And just recently, I've had to say no to to preaching engagements at other locations. I've had to say no to meetings with community leaders. I've had to say no to serving in context outside of our community. And and I've recognized, I've recognized that that's been so hard for me. I, I love going and being a guest preacher. I'm an evangelist at heart. Are you kidding me? The opportunity to go preach the gospel somewhere else, like I'm all for that. Like getting to meet with community leaders and hearing about the things that are coming to our community and how we can, we can plug into those things. I love getting to do that. Getting to go and serve, that, like, that's my bread and butter. Like I love getting to serve. But in this season, in this season, there's really only one thing that matters for me. And that's making sure that the vine is strategically placed to continue carrying out the mission of making disciples, making disciples. That's it. That's what matters most to me in this season season. And so I'm having to say no to a whole lot of things that I would love to be able to do, things that I could go do. But in this season, I shouldn't go do those things because I'm focused and and fixated on the one thing that matters most to me. Now, my guess is that some of you are going, okay, all right, so I got to make some tweaks and changes. How, How do I go about doing that? All right, well, we actually gave you a tool to help with that process. And so on your card, you should have, or on your seat, you should have a card that says day to day at the top left corner, top right corner says time management. This is not your homework assignment, okay? This is just a tool to help you. This is just a tool to help you out. And so on the the left side, there's a question there. It says, what matters most? And here's what I would encourage you to do. if If you're not one of those people who wants to write it down, that's fine. That's totally fine. But I do want you to ask yourself the question. In this season of your life, what matters most to you? what matters most to you? Because when you answer that question, it begins to add clarity around whether or not you're actually spending your time on the things that matter most to you, which is why on the right side of your sheet, it says schedule your values. And so to give you an example of what this could look like, I took a picture of my card, right? I took a picture of mine that I wanna show you all and give you some idea of kind of the things that matter most to me to just paint a picture for you. Hear this clearly. Like my list of what matters most is not like the answer key. This is not like, hey, you've got the answers in advance, bring your card back and have it match mine next week. Okay, that's not the goal here. The goal here is for you to go, okay, these are the things that matter most to Andrew. What are the things that matter most to me? So just to give you my list, number one is faithful follower of Christ. That's, that's number one for me. Number two is committed husband. Number three is engaged father. Number four is a passionate pastor. And number five is an encouraging friend. Those, those are my values. Like, so if you ask me what matters most, that's what you're going to get. Now, here's the problem that I've learned. In certain seasons of my life, the things that I value the most haven't been the things I actually spent time doing. There's a big gap between my values and my calendar. And so what I've had to start doing is every week I look at my calendar and I ask myself the question, am I scheduling my values? And I've got some like indicators that are really helpful for me in this. And so like on the right side of your screen there, like there's a, those are some kind of indicator things. They're not everything that you need to do to be a faithful follower of Christ. These are just things for me that if I'm doing them, I'm probably prioritizing what matters most. Like so the top line for me, it's daily uh, quiet time. That is not QT. For those of you who are thinking, I just really like to go get like taquitos. <laughs> this is, that's not, not what that is. Like that's, that's daily quiet time there. And then praying and inviting my oikos. And if you're new to the vine, oikos is your your family, friends, classmates, coworkers, and neighbors who don't know Jesus yet. And so for me, like, if I'm doing daily quiet time, like spending quality time with the Lord on a consistent basis and praying for and inviting my oikos, that probably means that I'm I'm doing pretty good on my first value. Uh, Second value is committed husband. And so that for me means, like, actually carving out time for date nights, which means, like, going, not, not just saying, hey, we need a date night but actually like doing the logistical work of getting childcare for our kids and making sure there's a plan for the date. And then another thing that we have to do is calendar conversations. I'm sure we're probably the only couple in the room who has to have those, but we have to have calendar conversations on a consistent basis or I will forget things and then things go south in our marriage really quickly, okay? And so every Sunday night, 8.30, calendar conversation. It's a big deal for me. I calendar having a calendar conversation, Woo, right? I mean, that's exciting stuff right there. And so, but it helps me to know that I'm, hey, I'm doing it to make sure I'm being a committed husband. Number three is an engaged father. Um, we do family devos in our house. So every night we have a family devotion. And I know this is where you roll your eyes and go, of course you do, pastor. Listen, some of you, some of you think that the devo in our house is like we do like nightly foot washings and we serve communion. <laughs> we don't, I promise. It's pretty, pretty basic. You know what we do? We read a, a passage of scripture we talk about it, and then we pray together. That's, that's family Devo. And we do it consistently because it's a way of making sure that I'm being an engaged father. And then I put practice on there because I used to have this belief that all my kids cared about was me being at their games. And then I realized they, they care as much, maybe more about me being at practice. And so I need, I need to put on my calendar that I need to be at practice. So I, I do that consistently. Um, passionate pastor, um, please note that on there it doesn't say perfect pastor. Uh, you don't have one of those. Jokes on you. Um, and then, and then like I have to build in time consistently to pray for you and preach with everything I've got. So like pray and preach with everything I've got. Um, that should be all the like all the fire for you to pray for me that you need because right now what you're getting is all I got. So <laughs> pray hard, okay? But 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 hear this. Like hear this. Like for me. The goal is for you to know that I'm praying with everything I got for you. And that when I preach, I'm not leaving anything on the table. Like you're getting everything I've got. I'm never gonna be a perfect pastor, but I want you to know you got a passionate pastor who's passionate about you and passionate about making disciples, making disciples. And then the final thing for me is being an encouraging friend. I stink at being a friend, like naturally. Like if I don't see my friends on a consistent basis, I, it's like out of sight, out of mind. And, and it's kind of embarrassing to have to say that I have to like build in time to do check-in texts. Like I, I check in with them and just say, how are you? What's going on in your world? So that I know how to pray for them, how to encourage them. And then to carve out hang time. Like I, I just am not naturally good about setting up times. And so I have to be intentional to say, okay, I'm gonna hang out with my friend here in this time block. Um, it's just something I have to do because I want to be an encouraging friend. Now listen, that's my list. Your list can be completely different from mine. I, I hope Jesus is somewhere on there, but but your list can look different from my list. There's not like gonna be a quiz where next week you have to bring this back and show me what you wrote on yours. In fact, my hope is that you won't bring this back because you'll fill it out and place it somewhere at your house or in your car that you're gonna see it every single day. And it will remind you to make sure that you're actually scheduling the things that matter most to you. Because here's what I want for you. I want you to live a life where every single day you know that you're doing the things that matter most. I believe that each and every one of you were created on purpose for a purpose. And I think sometimes we miss our purpose because we just simply don't schedule our values. What if, what if, what if you looked at your calendar every single week and you saw the things that you value the most on there? It makes Monday morning a little bit easier knowing that you're gonna spend a lot of time doing what matters most to you. And I I know some of you that you're thinking, yeah, but big chunks of my calendar i don't control like there's a, like like you know 8 to 6 like i'm doing work things that i don't get to control what i do okay that's fine i'm not asking you to control what you can't control what i am asking you to do is take control of the part of your calendar you do get to control and in that time spend it doing what matters most cuz i'm convinced that if you spent your time doing the things that mattered most to you, you'd start to see God move in extraordinary extraordinary ways in your life and in the lives of everyone he's strategically placed around you. Church, it's time for us to take control of our calendars and watch God move in the margins of our lives that we create.